We are in Daniel chapter 1. We're actually taking a little break from John just for this week because we've just got to. So Daniel chapter 1 is where we are going to pick up. So we're in the Old Testament, um, Daniel Hosea, Joel Amos. We're in the prophets, Old Testament. End of Old Testament, uh, or obviously if you're looking it up on your phone, that'll make it easy to find. We are going to read, I am going to read all of chapter 1 because it sets the stage for everything else that happens in Daniel's life. So I'm not going to elaborate on everything that happens in his life. I am just going to set the stage because I think it actually has a perfect parallel to everything that God's doing in our lives. This is the same stage. We're on the same world stage in so many ways as Daniel. So how did he get his start? How did he gain traction? How did he find stability? How did he find peace? What were his challenges? What did God say to him? I think there's a one-to-one relationship here. So the way that we're going to do this is I'm going to read through all of Daniel chapter 1, and then I have 20 thoughts I'm going to give you. I'm not going to elaborate on them all because that's a five-hour sermon. I'm just going to say them, and you get to think about them. And then I want to ask, like, which ones really richly stood out to you that felt the most relevant? There may be even been others, but that's how this is going to go. And that's going to segue into Michelle and I taking some time to tell the story of New Hope over the last five to ten years in brief and how it relates to Daniel as well. I actually think that Daniel is going to give us some insight into who we are right now as well as how God is moving and the ways that he's always worked as his people. So... I, I hope we'll see God's consistency in this and hope there'll be a lot for us to glean. So let's read, let's think, let's tell stories. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear the Lord, my king, who assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. 
So we listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What can we learn from Daniel? I'm going to read through this 20, and then we're going to turn to our small groups, and we're just going to share what stood out most to us and other things that might have. First, Daniel and his friends did not volunteer for their wonderful task. They were chosen. Ripped out of their homeland, you could say. We find ourselves called to tasks that are not of our choosing. It would be nice if we could set up our whole lives to be what we want to be called to do. That is not our mission. Our mission is where we find ourselves and what God calls us to do there. We do not choose our calling. We are chosen and called. Same. Second, their story didn't begin with them, but was a continuation of God working with his people. We get so self-focused. We think our lives are about us. They're not. We think our church is about us. It's not. We think this country is about us. It's not. We think that politics is about us. It's not. We think our faith is about us. It's not. It's about Christ. This world is about God's kingdom redeeming a broken and fallen world. And we happen to be a piece of that. Daniel and these three friends of his were not the purpose of the story. They were the instruments that God used for his story. Let's not put ourselves in the seat of importance in the world stage or in our own lives. Let us be humble servants. All right, third one. Their circumstances were out of their control, not a result of their planning. Surprise, you've been kidnapped. You will never go home again. How would we feel? How would we respond? Look how they responded. Look what they did with it. Sometimes we just say, this is not my doing. We didn't get ourselves here. We just are here. Circumstances beyond our control. Which one of us started the pandemic? Which one of us planted the church? Which one of us died on the cross? Which one of us invented the political? We're just like actors on this larger stage. And so we say, these are circumstances beyond our control. So then do we become helpless? Nope. Nope. They did not. But we recognize we play a role. What is that role? The calling. Okay. Fourth one. Their calling required them to make deep sacrifices of comfort, family, marriage, children, honor, safety, security, and the list could go on. They were made eunuchs. 
They were castrated so that they wouldn't be a threat to serve in the king's court. Remember, it said who was chosen? The nobility, youth without blemish, the best of what Israel had to offer, the strongest, the smartest, the most noble of blood, the most important, were taken from their homeland and castrated to become servants of a pagan foreign king. No more family, no kids, no safety, no honor, no nobility, all that is gone. And yet they were called to that. Why would God call someone to that? Well, look at what happened. <laughs> look at what they were called to. Number five. They were called, they were transplanted, as we've said, and called to witness to a foreign culture. Wouldn't it be nice if we could only talk to people who are like us? That's actually the problem with the world right now, though. People only talk to people who are like them. They only agree with people who think the way they do. And the person who doesn't is, you know, the enemy. Daniel and his friends were called to be witnesses to a pagan culture. And as soon as they got there, they tried to stuff them with all these food, sacrifice to idols, and all these things. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <sighs> that they couldn't just opt out. Too bad for them. That's what God chose for them. Witnesses for a foreign culture that you don't understand, that you don't like, that's not on your side. Do it anyway. That was God's opinion. I've put you here. We're going to do something here. Aren't we transplanted into a foreign culture in many ways? The, the America itself, I think, is like shifting culture. So we could actually stay in one place, be in the same house that we grew up in, that our grandparents lived in, and yet we still have been transplanted effectively to a different culture because there's a sweeping change going on around us. So how do you like being transplanted to a foreign culture? <laughs> no, this is not the way it used to be. This is, why, why did they take the Bible out of schools? Why did they take... Well, they just did. Now what are you going to do about it? You've been transplanted, called to be a witness to this new culture. All this crazy wackiness is going on in the world around us. Do we represent something as a witness? Or are we just regretting what used to be? Which maybe it never once was. You know, the old days have a way of kind of idealizing themselves anyway. So who knows if they were ever that way. All we know is where we are today. Six. I'm talking too much in between. I have to blast these out. We've got to go. Six. They didn't taint themselves with that culture. They were set apart. Do we taint ourselves with our culture? Does it seep into us and make us just like everybody else? Do we fall for the same gimmicks and trips and traps and tricks that everybody... Yes, they fought against that. We will not eat that food or wine. No, I want to be set apart. I will eat different. I will act different. I will behave different. I will worship different. That's important for us because if we just end up like everybody else, then we're going to end up like everybody else eternally. We're trying to live like nobody else so that we can end up like... A few. <laughs> I don't know how to make that make sense. Work it out. All right. Uh, seven. They had natural abilities, but they also went through three years of training before they served. We love people who are like child prodigies. We love people with natural abilities. Such a gifted administrator, such a gifted speaker. Such, they, still, they still train, not serve. They still learned. There's some sort of like pride thing that goes on where we feel like we don't need to learn anything from anybody because we're good at something. <coughs> like what if we just humble ourselves and have lots of great gifts and skills and just sit under others' guidance and mentoring, sit under scripture and let it influence and shape and train us? That's a good word. They did that for three years before they could step into their calling. But we want to be like, I've got an idea. I could start tomorrow. 
fine, we'll put it off till next week. Right? Our impulsive nature, our go, go, go kind of mentality is just so quick. Well, what will we know in a year that we don't know now? What if we waited a year and then started knowing that versus starting not knowing what we need to know yet? Like, what's God's timing for teaching and training in addition to calling? Very important. In addition to training, there was testing. Number eight, they went through 10 days of testing before they entered into this season of calling. God, is this really you? Is this going to work? Are you calling me? Are you speaking? Will you provide? And they put themselves on the line. The people around them said, who had the authority, the the eunuchs, the, the people in charge of them, the stewards, it goes up to them. If God didn't help them to have the energy and the vitality and the knowledge and whatever, then their plan would not have succeeded. So there's a test. Should we step forward? Is God calling you to do something? Ask. Discern. God tests us. You remember a certain man who went into the wilderness for 40 days and entered into a time of testing previous to his going out into ministry. And maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need a little wilderness and a little bit of testing so that as we remain faithful, God can just like slingshot us out of that into the mission field of our country and our family. Nine, their success came from fasting, praying, and listening to God. Period. That's it. Is that where your success and my success is coming from? Fasting, praying, and listening to God. Because if not, then those are very much reliant upon God. Then if not, what are the three things like hard work, initiative, and like gumption? I don't know. Right? Which is going to succeed in the long run? We know. So let's model our lives after listening, fasting, praying, hearing from the Father. Ten is similar, but um, their story wasn't about them. It was about God's plan in regards to Israel and Babylon. So there's like larger national things going on. God is in charge of kings and kingdoms as well as sparrows and humans. Eleven, their qualifications, why they were chosen, were not just physical. Yes, they were physically up to this task. They were physically without blemish. But they were spiritual as well. You know, people of discernment. People who could listen, who are wise. What are our characteristics and qualifications? Do we just trust our, our physical or our natural ability? What about our spiritual skill set? How's that looking these days? How could it grow? Twelve. The book is called Daniel, but it's about four guys who lived in community and did this together. We read Daniel, I think it like clicks in with our American sort of like, oh, right, this guy who did that thing. <coughs> who are you talking with, Michelle? Oh, our friends down in Philadelphia, we visited the last couple of days, and they were talking about soccer, and they were talking about how the goal scorers get all the credit, and Michelle was talking about someone who had written a book recently who was saying, well, there's nobody who can score a goal unless someone passes them the ball. But we hyper-focus on the goal scorers and the points that way as if you can go score goals on your own. And I think the quote was, anyone who's ever achieved individual excellence was as a result of an excellent team. There's never been anything such as individual solitary excellence. It's been team and then someone who did something at the end, the last domino to fall maybe, the ball in the net. Uh, It's a good word for us because we like to be, I can do, let me go. But what about together? Daniel wasn't trying to do it on his own. Community. 
All right, 13. They were called for a very specific time and place in history. You and me have been called for a very specific time and place in history. God wants you here in this place at this time in history. And if he moves you to a new place, he wants you in that place at this time in history. Not accidental, on purpose. So why us? God asked that question. Why weren't we born in the 1800s or this time of Jesus or 5,000 years from now if the world lives that long? Because we're meant to be now. This is our time. Like the Goonies say, this is our time. <laughs> Michelle and I quote that to each other all the time. This is our time. Right? It's our time. All right. 14, God granted them favor with influential people. You can see when he opens doors. Why did you bump into that person who knows the person who does the thing? Mm-hmm. Because God's granting favor. We'd love to take credit for those. Oh, I met someone, I said something, I did something, and I like, made the connection, I networked. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. God connected the dots. You were just there at the right place at the right time. Don't take credit. Appreciate God's sovereignty. 15, they earned a reputation as God's people for having superior wisdom. You're at the office and someone's like, oh yeah, you gotta do this with your money. I challenge you to just be like, oh, I choose to do this with my money and say something Bible-ish. Like I choose to give away 10% of what I have because I feel like that's the best way to like let my blessings help others. Or um, say... We, we do our finances like a, a slice of a pie. And so some of it's for us, some of it's for now, some of it's for saving, some of it's for giving. Like, what do you do? The, God's wisdom is superior than the wisdom of the world. So when you say God's thoughts out in the world, then people match it up to what the world has. It's better. And over time, people recognize that's superior and want to know more about the God who knows so much about so much. Their reputation gave God glory because they just kept speaking the words and wisdom of God. We need to speak the words and wisdom of God. They went from being just four young boys to influencing four different kings in three different world empires. That's a pretty cool, it's not rags to riches because they were born nobility. It's almost like riches to rags. Um, but influence, like how wonderful. Start small and see what God can do with just a couple of boys born at exactly the right time. 17, their listening prayers made them prophetic, not just wise. Think about that for a second. When you listen to God and he says, do this, it's because he knows what's coming. So true listening prayer is prophecy. It tells you how to behave in a way that will match up with what you don't know is coming yet. That's what listening is. God knows the future. We say, help me to know. He says, take a step left. We take a step left. And then the train comes rushing by on the right. We're like, well, I'm glad I stepped left. But it was listening to an all-knowing God and therefore prophetic. Daniel would know things about the future because he was listening to God. We don't just gain wisdom from God. We gain insight and we gain advanced warning. We gain advice that is not suited to this moment. It's suited to the next moment. 
God knows the next moment. And so we need to know the next moment because looking at what we look at, say on this table top right here, I've got a pen, I've got two pieces of paper, and I've got a book. So I'm going to make my decisions with the best information I have at hand. This is how I'll decide to sell my home. This is how I'll decide what job to take. Like we have a limited sphere. What if we knew that in 10 seconds, all those books were going to come onto here and the decision we're making now is going to prevent them from fitting. They're going to fall all over the place. We would make entirely different decisions. That's why discernment is about listening and listening is prophetic. Because if we truly listen to God, he'd say, get a bigger table. Not, your table's just fine, clean it up. He'd say, your table doesn't fit what I'm about to do. Uh-oh. Listening is prophetic. Daniel and his friends were prophets. We become prophets just by listening to God. <coughs> Last three. This one we could talk about for a long time, but we won't. I won't need to, though, because as soon as I say it, you're going to be like, right. They didn't let bitterness or fear consume them. But they lived with calm, powerful hope. There's like a lot to be bitter about now in the world. Lost time, lost wages, lost friends, lost relationships. You can think politically, and it's been such a swing. You might think that when someone was in power, there was a loss of goodness there. And if someone else came in power, now you think maybe there's a loss of goodness. So like within politics, you feel like all these things to be bitter and angry about. Have you been taken as a child from your home and castrated and sent to a foreign kingdom and told, like, eat this food, do this thing, learn the pagan religion of this king and help his empire prosper? Nope. So if we have reasons legitimate reasons to be bitter, angry, whatever, they had more. But they didn't let that own their lives. They did not live in a cycle of fear and bitterness in their head. They just didn't. And so because they didn't, they were different. And so they lived with power and hope in a country, and then they were set apart, and then it was God's glory, and like the good stuff came, and the king looked at them and recognized something special in them, which would not have happened if they were huddled in a corner and crying and lost. They were not lost. They were transplanted for God's glory. All right, last two. They showed resolve and confidence and boldness in the face of uncertainty. Right? Resolve. We're sticking to God. I don't care what happens. Boldness. I'm going to tell this guy who's giving us the food, don't give me any more of that stuff. I know he's going to force me to. I know he's going to like throw me in a pit of lions or whatever, but like, I got to say what I've got to say because I've got to say it. They showed resolve and confidence and boldness, but they did not know the outcome. We read the book of Daniel sort of like easily, casually. Hey, we know this works out. Don't worry about it. Yeah, say that thing to that guy and he's going to let you go. In the moment, it's like I say this thing to the guy and I'm probably dead. Like more likely than not dead or at least refused. And they were neither refused nor killed. They were elevated. But it took a bold step of saying, I really hear God telling me to say this. So I'm just going to, there you go. For better or for worse, this is what I got to say right now. Oh, God, that was you. I see how you've answered that test. And the last one, they had nothing left to lose. And so they lived like it. Right? That's the secret. It's the secret. It's the secret. When you've got nothing left to lose, when you're just living for God, take my house, take my clothes, take my freedom, take my whatever. I'm living for God. Take my reputation. Take my friends, okay. Take my family, take my health. When you just don't feel like you're trying to hang on to those things so hard, you enter into this place of God, do what you're gonna do. Come hell or high water, <laughs> whatever. 
They, they had literally already lost everything. So they put in this place where they had nothing left to lose. They had already lost their inheritance. They had lost their future. They had lost their everything. But in that place, they were freed to say, only last thing you could do is kill me. And I feel like you've killed off every part of me already. So what do I have left to lose? I believe in God. I believe in heaven. So it would be better to be there than here anyway. So if you're going to kill me, thank you. You're doing me a favor. Like that's powerful. We like what we have. We like who we are. We like where we are. We, we like things so much that it becomes attachment. So then we actually have a lot to lose. We have our retirement money to lose. And we have our friends to lose. We have our reputations to lose. We have our jobs to lose. We have, so the more things we have, the more we literally have to lose, unless we don't live that way. Unless we don't live that way. Unless we don't think that way. We can live like we have nothing left to lose. Even though we have lots of stuff. Because it comes, it goes, and then more stuff will come, and God will bring us stuff, and take away stuff, and like, it's God's economy. So you can have many things, as long as we don't have many things. It'd be so cool to really feel in every year of our lives like we have nothing left to lose. You'd never feel nervous again. All those times you feel nervous about the conversation you're going to have, you've got nothing to lose. You'd never feel nervous about a job interview again, because you would be like, oh, bomb it, whatever. What's the worst thing to do, kill me? Don't care. This is like a true, true freedom. And this isn't like a nihilistic Eastern philosophy, like empty yourself, become nothing. No, this is such confidence in God that if it's his plan, nothing can fail. And if I lose this life, I'm going to a better one. <laughs> so like, what are you going to do? Punish me by giving me something better? Are you going to punish me by taking away all my troubles? Punish me by taking away all my stress and anxiety? Punish me by taking away this body which is falling apart? Like, <laughs> Do your worst, world. Do your worst. And that's Daniel. It's like, pit of lions or pray? Pray. I got nothing left to lose. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bow down or fire your furnace? Fire. That's so cool. We can be inspired to be that way if we live like apart from our soul and Jesus. <laughs> we got nothing left to lose. And actually, no one can even take that from us. So literally. That there's freedom in that and power in the results. So I am going to turn it over to you now and just say, please turn to the people around you which one or two of those things meant something to you. Because if it meant something, it's probably the Holy Spirit saying, think about this, child. All right, turn. We'll take just a few minutes to talk about it and then...